Live from the Battleborn Broadcast Center, it's Cofield and Company. Even at like seven, I was very cheap, and I'm like, I'm going to have this, this shirt for a long time. I can't even comprehend this question. I wouldn't want land. I wouldn't want animals. I don't want any of that. I don't want scenery. I don't want space. No, it didn't look like... I don't like, want open spaces at all. It didn't look like there was a... within miles of that place. I'm out. It's time for Cofield and Company with Steve Cofield on ESPN Las Vegas. What do we got, Ari? Russian dressing. What do we got? We got Pickles. That's the main difference between the two is the use of pickles. Mm, no. In Thousand uh, Island. That's what my research says. Yeah, Russian dressing often uh, livened up with pickle relish. Then you could throw in some uh, Worcestershire, maybe a little horseradish, lemon juice, paprika. Basically spicier and less sweet than Thousand Island. So the boycott go. is on. No Russian dressing. How about that? I might still try some. Well, you have no backbone. I started yelling at you an hour ago because, like, you if they cancel baseball games this year, regular season baseball games, you can't go to any regular season games. I like baseball that's, games. That's the that's the message back to the owners that you're not blanking around. You can make a difference. We can all make a difference. Don't go to games. Well, I'm not gonna. Like I said, I won't. I won't buy anything at the game, and I'll buy secondary market tickets and not directly from the team. So tickets are already sold, so the money won't go to them, and mm-hmm. I won't buy anything there. Battleborn Injury Lawyers presents the Big Five at Five, number five. A lot of uh, cool stories, although coming from a very depressing story across sports. When it comes to the Russian invasion of Ukraine. You know, because you're not sitting there constantly making a ledger of where all international athletes are from. It really is amazing how many. Russian and Ukrainian athletes are across the American sports spectrum. Ton, oh, yeah. Tons, tons of them in the combat sports. Oh yeah, for sure. And in um, NBA, we know, we know there's players and obviously in hockey, there's players on both sides and it's, it is, it's pretty remarkable. I mean, you know it, and you know, like the political ties too. like Vitaly Klitschko is the mayor of Kiev. Mm-hmm. Like that's, that's something that we've known, but it's kind of out of your mind, right? Like you don't think about it necessarily uh, until you see, some of the images that are coming out now. Uh, Usyk, Lomachenko, Klitschko's on and around the battlefield for Ukraine. Um, we're also seeing at least gestures of anger, which, I mean, I guess it does something. I think the economic stuff is really what's potentially going to bring Putin to his knees. But what did FIFA do? They Well, they've had a bunch of teams that have said, we're not playing them. Like there's World Cup qualifiers coming up, and teams are like, "No, we're not playing them." So we're, you know, we'll take the forfeit or whatever comes with it, but we're not gonna we're not gonna take the field against them, and it shouldn't happen. So uh, they are out of the World Cup. They've essentially been banned uh, from from official recognition. Uh, the Russian flag anthem and name can't be used. I guess the team can keep playing like the Olympic. It's gonna be a weird situation, but they're ostensibly they're gonna be kind of banned like a shadow banning, essentially, of the team uh, from from competition for at least now. I'm guessing this is going to dry up revenue streams as uh, the WNBA players who play in Russia are, like, out. Some of them. I don't I, know I all would, of them. I would think so. I mean, I don't I don't know what's going to go on. Like, we talked 
the other day, like we just assume life has kind of stopped in that region, but like in Ukraine, like Louis C.K. was still supposed to do a comedy show this weekend. I never got to see if he actually did it, but he was there. So, I mean, life does kind of. I mean, you, you see some of the videos and people are, you know, walking the streets and all of a sudden there's some attack, you know? Yeah. The tanks just running over cars, civilians. It's, it's sick stuff. It's it's awful and horrifying and, and crazy. But then, as you, as you said, like, in my mind, and I know this is wrong because I've, I've been watching so much of the live streaming, but in my mind, like, everything stops and you fight a war. But, like, that's not really how it happens. Like, there is still life going on and then there you have to deal with all these other awful well, things that are happening there's also the war effort we you know we've got a ukrainian brewery that stopped making beer and they're like all right we gotta pitch in yeah making the molotov cocktails which you know those it's you know sucks that that's the level that it's gotten to and and, and how it's just it's so awful to even try to put into words but i i do think there's something very powerful about the images of the athletes kind of taking up arms and you know these people that we know that we've you know seen interviews with that I've interviewed before, and now they're on the battlefield and they could potentially lose their lives as a result of this nonsense. Like what? Just one person becoming deranged. It's it's awful. Number four. Who do we blame for the Lakers' failings? Because I think LeBron wants to blame Rob Palenka yeah. and may try to pull a coup. Word is that. He may want to bring in Sam Presti, but you understand, you're listening to the way I'm saying that, right? He may want to bring in. This is another LeBron team that has his fingerprints all over it. LeBron's the GM. And by the way, no one really thinks that Rob Palinka is any sort of basketball savant. No. Because he's not. And that's not why they got LeBron. No. Right? And that's not why they got Anthony Davis. So this team is LeBron's team. And... You know, it's funny. We played a bite earlier, Stephen A. getting mad at Lakers fans. Like, you know, he's averaging 29 and this and this and this. Okay, well, what's his success rate on GMing? Not good. Because it sucks again. It always has. And I like LeBron, but come on, man. You had a team that actually could play some defense the last couple of years, and you went old. It, it's not working. No. So, you know what? Okay, if I guess it would make Stephen A. happy. We're not booing the player. We're booing the executive, LeBron. Does that work? LeBron the GM. 27 and 33 now. They're 6 and 14 in their last 20 games. And the yeah, they're like 23rd in defense and honor. And he played eight points a game over the last 20. We got a lot of they're his dreadful. defense. I mean, a lot of his injuries, excuse me. Um, it is AD being out. Yeah. And and I think when they're together, they're still a, they're still a threat. But how but, much of a threat are they coming from the freaking nine or ten seed? It's going to be really tough. And and again, but I mean, it's t- it, it on some level you say, hey, well, if they were at full strength all year, this wouldn't be a problem. They'd be in the playoffs, and we wouldn't be talking about this. But you, you, when you get guys that are that old, yep. Like that should be a foreseeable thing. It shouldn't and be then, crazy to think that there's going to be a lot of injuries. The judgment. I mean, they're losing to the Clippers. You know, they've got. I think it's like seven seconds left, and Carmelo shooting a thirty footer. <laughs> Move the ball. What are we doing here? This First is not a. I mean, I, I was going to state a record. You know, this is not a seventeen win Knicks team, Melo. It's not the Nuggets where you're the but, entire team. At the same time, pass the ball. You're also again. You're talking about. Carmelo. I know. Like, he's 73. And then the other problem is 
the lack of understanding of what LA is in terms of tradition with Lakers basketball and that the fans are very demanding and that a lot of the fans kind of look at this group, maybe not AD, but LeBron and Melo and especially Westbrook is outsiders. And now you're ruining our team. So Westbrook's, you know, the game's over, they get bombed. And one of the reporters is like, Hey, what do you think of the booze? Are you going to take this booing home? You don't take that home with you. Take it home for what? I don't think about it. Take it home, man. Well, I got three beautiful kids at my house. My wife I ain't taking it home. They take their boo and they get take their ass home. <laughs> I ain't worried about that. Doesn't bother me none. But as for our team, I have to think it's something that you got to deal with and kind of move forward. So you got to deal with and move forward. That that ain't the right answer, man. What kind of? I I no. I, I know it's not life and death. But throw in there. You know what? The fans have high demands. They've set a standard here. We, we, we're in a situation with great tradition. We have to do better. I understand why they're brewing. Not, nah. You know, my three kids. No one cares about your three. We, everyone's got kids. All right? Is that every workplace? You walk in there when you're substandard, and you're like, ah, you know, I mean, this doesn't really mean that much to me, boss. Got my kids, my wife, my husband. We, none of us get to do that. Okay, but do your job. I don't disagree with you, but again, sometimes it's in the question, right? The question was, are you taking it home? He literally brought his family into it. So you're you're right, but that's not. And, and, and you're, listen, you're, as somebody you're who asks questions, year old basketball player, you can flip it to, you know what? The fans do mean a lot. I understand why they're upset. We have to do better. You can, Is but it as that somebody, hard? As somebody who asks questions, I, I am. I am. I would take. I am illiterate, and I just came up with that. I would take responsibility for the question in, in that case. He said, "Are you going to take it home?" I don't have a problem with the player bringing his home life into it. No, I'm not taking it home. I'll, t- I'll sit here in the locker room and think about all the things. Well, that you, you know what? Said. Here's the thing. Maybe he needs to take it home. <laughs> Maybe he needs to get a little more serious. Stop turning the ball over. That's that would be. Do you a, take your work fair. home when you do a lousy job? All the time. Yes. I don't have kids. Do I? Yes. <laughs> does Ari? I'm not sure. No. He does. No. He takes it to heart. <laughs> that taking it to heart is like, different. This doesn't than sound it like he cares. That that answer, you're right. It doesn't sound like it's not the answer I would want. If I was a fan that was all invested and cheering like crazy for the team and buying tickets and being there, I wouldn't like that answer. But I also wouldn't love the question. Number three. Raiders get some extra football in the preseason. Oh, yeah. Hall of Fame game. So an extra preseason game. You know, they cut down the schedule, but they're going to get this game. That means... That whole thing is built around what's called a Hall of Fame game for a reason. Cliff Branch is going in. So that's cool. By the way, very good business. Very good business for the NFL. Because you know Raider fans are going to freaking flock to Canton, Ohio. And they'll honor Madden. That too. So, I mean, I think that'll be a big part of it. Um, do you think? Training camp starts a week early. I was going to say, do you, is that an advantage? Do, do do you think football teams are like this is good? We get we get going, especially a new regime. We oh, get that's an extra what I week. Think. Yeah, I think as, as a as a new staff, a new general manager, they're trying to get a feel for everything. Like I think it's absolutely that's absolutely the biggest benefit to all of this that you start tra- training camp a week early. Now, obviously, four preseason games when everybody else plays three, you don't love that, but you can figure that part out. Just play a bunch of four stringers in the, in the one of the games, probably two of the games. Uh, I'd like it. There. I'd like it if I'm one of the end of the roster players trying to fight to sure. get a practice squad spot or maybe make and the team. To, and to put cool. put good film out for everybody else. Yep. Uh, all those things. So yeah, I, I think that would be um, that's that's by far the biggest benefit of this. To play in the game, I don't think they actually care. They want to be a part of the weekend. That's fine. The extra game, I'm sure they don't love. To get a, a head start a week early on training camp is 
by far the best part of this for the Raiders. Number two. Raiders also add a player. Why is this important? Well, it's not, I mean, I don't know if how important it is, but it is a sign. Right? So Andrew Billings was brought in as a free agent. Uh, most of his time in the league has been spent with the Bengals. His fourth-round pick in 2016, missed his rookie year, played three seasons, made some starts, a good impact. But he's really just a space-eating nose tackle. He's pretty good at that. Uh, clog up space, occupy the middle of the offensive line, which is very important in a 3-4 defense. Now, the Raiders have played a lot of 4-3 the last couple of years. Uh, they are expected to shift primarily. I mean, they might mess, mess with things personnel-wise, but Patrick Graham does prefer uh, a 3-4. So a lot of shifting from where they have been, and this would be kind of a sign of, okay, you're bringing in a space-eating nose tackle. That's a pretty clear hint. Now, this isn't, listen, they're not investing heavily in free agency in the offseason, but it's like, okay, you're starting to see the transformation of the defense a little bit. Um, not that he'll ever make the team necessarily or anything like that, but um, you know, there's a guy who had played, like I said, three years, uh, opted out for COVID in 2020, struggled to catch on 2021, played the Browns a little bit. Uh, was on the practice squad for, I believe, the Dolphins and the Chiefs late in the season. Uh, so not like a game-changing type player, but a bit of a shift, maybe a, a nod to the shift of defensive philosophy. Number one. Combine starts this week. I think this might be your favorite week of the entire year, covering pro football. Uh, vacation in Indy would be better than a combine in Indy, but still a vacation good. in Indianapolis <laughs> would be better than the combine. Well, we're sorry you have to work and not enjoy Indianapolis for a whole week. My God, what would you do? So let's start talking about some players that they could be looking at here. We'll see who's working out, who's not working out, and positions. So you say cornerback, wide receiver, linebacker, O-line are the positions they're going to look at. Daniel Jeremiah, draft expert, uh, started talking about some of the offensive line prospects. But first, he talked about what the Raiders have from last year out of the draft, and that is Alex Leatherwood. I think I would be good on him staying inside at guard. I think I would just let him get some rep, get more reps there, get more comfortable there, and then off you go, you know, going forward. That's it. Tackle's done. What do you think? New staff, he can't impress and go back outside? I don't think it's done, but I mean, I think going into the draft last year, that's what most draft prognosticators said. Most 17th pick in the draft. Yeah. But in most, He's got to be a really good guard long term. Well, if you remember, Alex Leatherwood was the – Name the best offensive lineman in college football. Mm -hmm. And the reason that he wasn't projected as a first-round pick, that he was projected more second or third, is because nobody thought he could play tackle at the NFL level. Except the Raiders. Tom and Cable so loved him. They bring him in, try to, make him try to make him play tackle. It doesn't really work out. Didn't necessarily work out a guard either, but he's probably better and more comfortable there and probably will be even be more comfortable going forward at guard. He was getting better. He was showing signs late in the season. So I wouldn't mess with that. Why would you mess with you're getting closer to being having a serviceable guy just because of your. And by the way, this regime doesn't care about where he was drafted. They didn't make that selection. So just put him out where he's going to be best and let him play going forward. So I, I think that makes a lot of sense. Uh, you can't you can't follow a wrong by making it wrong again. You can't like let's try to tackle again. Like, oh, no, it didn't work out again. This sucks. Here's Jeremiah on some of the uh, tackle prospects, right tackle prospects. Where they're picking at, at 22, you know, I mentioned Tyler Smith. I wouldn't hate that at all. Uh, I think Penning will be long gone. You know, Cross is a fascinating one. We haven't talked about him yet. I'm low on him. Like, there's guys when you when you watch him, you put the grade in early, and then you go through and you start watching more and more guys. 
And then as I've kind of go through this process and I'll get a chance to circle back as I update my top 50, it's one of those guys like, yeah, you know, I'm a little hard on him. He, he, I need to move him up a little bit. So, you know, there's a chance he's, I mean, it's probably a really good chance he's gone. Uh, he wouldn't be there when they pick, but I think he would, he would uh, constitute an upgrade there. Cross Penning and Smith. I, d- I don't, I would look at any of them. I would be looking more at offensive tackle prospects in the third, fourth, fifth. I think they're going to look for depth and, and probably they'll probably try to address it in free agency too. Uh, but I wouldn't necessarily like, I think when we do this and like, Hey, well, who are you looking at this and this and this, we always think about, Oh, that first pick. I don't think that's where they're going in the first round. Ryman needs a little bit of work, but I think he's better than what they're playing with at right tackle. Um, and then kind of the fascinating one would be Daniel Falalele from, from Minnesota, who's, he's only six foot eight, 387 pounds. But, you know, you look at the success that the Patriots had with a very large man, uh, that success did not uh, translate over to the Raiders, but right. now that you've got the Patriot people with the Patriot type player, maybe that would work here with the big man from Minnesota. Yeah. That did not work out with the previous big man. What, uh, was it the energy vampire Gruden called him? Uh, yeah, that, I think that was it. Yeah. Energy vampire. The energy vampire. Suck the energy out of the rest of the team. Yes. I, I do like, uh, uh, Daniel Falala there that he mentioned is one of my I, I my players to watch story at the combine is coming out in about an hour probably here. Uh, he was one of the guys I put on there. Like just it'll be exciting to see a guy that's three eighty seven go through some of the drills. Yes, he's a giant. Are you in favor of taking guys that big though for conditioning reasons? Well, we'll see where he is. I mean that that's what I actually wrote. Right. Was, I mean, if we're going back to Trent Brown, that's why it didn't work out because it didn't seem like he was max motivated all the time. Right, but he this dude. I mean this dude is. He he doesn't necessarily look like Trent Brown. He's stronger, I think. He's a more natural three eighty seven. Yeah, get um, out of here. Is that, yeah, is that so. what you're selling? I think so. But I also he don't, carries the three eighty seven even what, better. Here's what it is. I don't know what he's going to weigh. And exactly what I wrote was it will be very interesting to see what he weighs in at at the combine because we always see these college numbers and where they are. And he's been on some of the pro day stuff, but um, for, you know, so on the on the circuit they would say. Um, I want to see what he what he actually weighs in at with the medicals here and what kind of shape he's in going into this. And like, obviously it's kind of an unfair advantage, but he is supposed to just tear up the bench press. So I would love to see where, where he is on that. I feel like at some point offensive tackles, it's almost like the Zion thing in the NBA. At some point you're like, guys just weigh too much to stay healthy. Possibly. Like, I think Makai Becton can be really good for the Jets, but can he? Can he stay on the field? Yeah. I mean, there, there was actually, uh, you're playing some of these bites from Jeremiah. I was on that conference call the other day. It was like a little over two hours long. And there was a couple questions actually about about what the Jets will do in terms of potentially drafting. They have two picks in the first 10, right? I think um, what they'll do in terms of maybe taking a tackle and what that could mean for Mackay Beckton. And he said, well, I think they should take a tackle, but I think it should be opposite Beckton. I still believe in him. Uh, but last year was kind of a lost year. Well, you're going to be able to find tackles pretty much throughout this draft. A guy like Max Mitchell would be intriguing to me from Louisiana. He's got really good feet. He's a really good athlete. And uh, he's got you know the ability to, to reach and seal guys in the run game. You think about the run game with the Niners and what they ask of those guys movement wise. He'd be up for the challenge. He can really move, so he would be a, he would be a fun one. I think that would fit really well there. That's what I'd like to see the Raiders do is get offensive line help later in the draft. Coming back uh, a little more on Daniel Jeremiah, 
a draft expert as uh, he talked a lot about wide receivers. And I know Raiders fans are really fired up to take a wide receiver in the first round. I'm not a Raiders fan, but I'll just say taking a wide receiver in the first round, not me. It's the Big Five at Five, brought to you by Battleborn Injury Lawyers. If you've been injured, call Justin Watkins at Battleborn Injury Lawyers, 570-9000. Cofield and Company. Cofield and Company. A couple other guys that I think um, are kind of like Patriot-type players. Sky Moore from Western Michigan. You know, probably going to go in the second or third round. That dude can just eat cushion. He's really dynamic and crisp. The Patriots love love guys like that. He's quicker than a hiccup. Just puts guys in a blender. He's he's fun to watch. Getting ready for the NFL draft. Some uh, eight weeks away, but the hype begins now with the combine, and the Raiders have. Uh, the need for lots of positions in the first round. We were just talking about offensive linemen. Adam and I are both in favor of not taking an offensive lineman again in the first round. Uh, I would, I would say, unless there's a freaking slam dunk quarterback and you're at the top of the draft, I, I would almost look exclusively at best player available, and by that, it's generally a cornerback or a defensive lineman, and. I think the Raiders need help at both. Um, people are going to get titillated, as they always do, by wide receivers. By the way, this will be one of the more annoying drafts ever because the Jets and the Giants both have two first-round picks. Oh, boy. So you're going to hear about the Jets and Giants ad nauseum, and you're going to hear about offensive skill players going to both of them. It's going to be endless. Oh, don't, don't forget, in the same region, the Eagles have three. And the Eagles have three. So you're going to hear about that. I've already seen the Eagles wide receiver thing. Uh, Daniel Jeremiah, the draft expert from NFL Network, did a long conference call over the weekend. Q, our buddy over on Raider Nation Radio 920, did a brilliant job of cutting these up. And uh, you hear Sky Moore there mentioned. Uh, Jeremiah talked about some other guys the Raiders could be interested in with their pick in the early 20s. The two guys I would keep an eye on with that first round pick who I think are going to probably come off the board or right around there. Now, I say that going into the combine, knowing that uh, I'm talking about Chris Olave from Ohio State and John Dotson from Penn State. Both these guys are going to run the four threes. Um, so they're going to fly in Indy. And, you know, maybe that that helps elevate them up the board a little bit. Both those guys are pristine route runners with big time speed. you got guys that can get over the top, takeoffs, posts, uh, double moves, things like that. That That's what Olave and John Dotson can do. And I think uh, Dotson, for me, I think he has the best hands in the draft. Like he really attacks the football. He's got outstanding ability to adjust. He can catch it, you know, back hip uh, above the rim. You name it, he can do it. Small. Not sure. Yeah, but I mean, not tiny. A lot of things you said are very true, and it, it's. Yeah, I mean, I, I, the Raiders have had you know some mixed history with wide receivers and corners the last couple of years for sure. Um, but one of the things Daniel, Jer- Daniel Jeremiah also said in, in this call was just talking about just needing that guy because Hunter Renfro was such a perfect fit for McDaniel's offense. Yeah. Uh, where, you know, he, he said, I think he said there's never been like a pairing so perfect where you get a elite slot receiver with, you know, obviously an offense that has had a ton of success with slot receivers was something we talked about. And you need to have that guy that goes on the other side with them. Could you find them later? Sure. I mean, I think wide receivers are available, and there's always guys that kind of develop. But making a big investment in a wide receiver is something that I would 
probably think about doing. And, and I think corner is probably more important, but I, I wouldn't have a problem if I love one of these guys to take them, especially speed guys that can go get the ball, make a play for you. And we'll have that, that opportunity to take a little bit of attention away from Hunter Renfro. Yeah. I like corner. And then my other question, and we'll have to examine this further is defensive line. Cause I, I don't think you can ever have enough defensive linemen, Yeah, but I have no idea what they're going to play this year. You think more three, four Graham says, you know, he mixes it up. Don't they also have to match the roster? So I think that's going to be one of the big mysteries. This is supposed to be a really good defensive lineman draft, but until I get a better idea of where Crosby and Ngakwe are going to play, then we really can't talk much early on here about what the Raiders may do in the draft along the defensive line. Uh, tomorrow we're going to be on the road. Tom Zurbin right there in front of New York, New York, right around the corner from the Fortress Sharks are going to be taking on your Vegas Golden Knights. It is our official watch party spot for Knights games. Home and road will be there uh, in the afternoon, really through like, most of the game, three to eight, will be out there signing people up for great prizes. You want to uh, try their Red Bull party starter. It's Tom's Urban. We start at three o'clock with the live Cofield and Company. And then you can party along during the game with one Tyler Bischoff from the press box. Cofield and Company will be back in minutes right here on ESPN Las Vegas. Bryce comes left, comes flying down the lane. Bryce lays it off the glass and in. That's as fast as I've seen Bryce get down the lane in a long time. Hanging at the Battleborn Broadcast Center, it's Cofield and Company. Interesting night for Bryce Hamilton. Finished with 25. UNLV fell down early. Made multiple runs. Boise seemed to respond at him every time UNLV made a run on him. This was a game on Saturday. But especially in the key portion of the game from about 14 minutes down to eight. So Hamilton finishes with 25. This is going to sound crazy. So Bryce got two fouls, offensive fouls, right? Which I'm telling you, man, guys like Bryce Hamilton, it's you have to really manage your game because in – I was going to say in this conference, I think it's across college basketball. The The advantage is to the defender, not to the aggressor. I just don't understand it. I'm seeing – I mean, I watched another game where uh, – I mean, I'll just say it. Brad Davison um, drew a charge, and he's falling halfway through the contact. Or actually, I guess before the contact. Like, he's, he's already near the ground before the contact. It's just like, that's not playing defense. Silly. So, anyway – Bryce Hamilton got two fouls, so he wound up with five points in the first half. He came out in the second half in the first five minutes, maybe for seven minutes. He scored 16, and then he scored four over the final 11. And it sounds like I'm ripping Bryce. It was just that when they needed to lock him down and swarm him, they did it, and then UNLV just couldn't get made shots from other people on the floor. And Boise's a really impressive team. They're not deep, but they're big. You can see why they're good, right? And you can also see why guys are recruited the Power Five at the beginning of their career, right? Emmanuel Acott is 6'8", 220 pounds, and he's playing the point at times. <laughs> now, he got destroyed when Keyshawn Gilbert was covering him because he's not really a bring-it-up-the-floor point guard, but in the half court, he's fine. And Abu Kijab, who just scored 1,000 points, was kind of left for dead at Oregon, wasn't going to play there. He's 6'7", 230, and he's playing small forward. Like, <laughs> you're, you're, you're watching him, and you're like, okay, that's what a Power 5 player looks like, and now both of them are playing like Power 5 players. And then I, I don't know how Leon Rice did it, but he got, he got a guy out of Spokane 
Tyson Degenhardt, who is just about 6'9 and 230 pounds playing the wing. I mean, he, I, I mean, I had already seen him once up close up there and I watched him again. I'm like, man, I think he got bigger. So they just have size all over the place and just too much for the Rebels. So Boise's on the verge of being in the top 25. I think they've, I think they've cemented a spot in the NCAA tournament. Yeah. They're close. Wyoming's in pretty good shape. I mean, it could be a disaster here down the stretch if they were to lose to UNLV, and that could happen this Wednesday. And then lose early in the Mountain West Conference Tournament. I think there's max three spots available for the Mountain West, not four. And San Diego State's numbers by Ken Palm and Net are pretty good. And Wyoming has the, the most aggressive of the schedules left. So it's going to be a freaking dogfight. And the good thing is UNLV lost a game, but... The teams behind them also lost. So anyone who could come up and steal the five seed in the Mountain West Conference Tournament, they're not in good position to do so. So it looks like UNLV at least won't have to play on the first day next week of a Mountain West Conference play in the tournament on Wednesday. Which will be good. That, that, that's helpful. If you if you have your sights set on making a run, which the Rebels do, I think that's kind of been how they're positioning things down the stretch. You you don't want to have that extra game. That's Not having an extra game is probably more important than matchups. Okay, so what do you think across the country? Just complete anarchy. It was bizarre. I mean, obviously, it's you know, it seemed weird because it's the first time oh. it's ever happened. Zona Colorado was crazy. Sure, the fact because they got they got beat and they got bludgeoned. Um, Gonzaga losing at St. Mary's isn't shocking. Well, uh, the way they did St. Mary, yeah, that the margin. Yeah, you know, they're, they're you, down fifteen and a half. Yeah, I mean, if you had bet in game and you had plus eight and a half in Gonzaga, you know, you were disappointed that it finished at ten. I'm not saying I know anyone who did that, but. Um, <laughs> But it's kind of the way college basketball is right now. It's pretty balanced. I think, well, in my opinion, here's what, here's what we have coming to Vegas, right? So we've got the Mountain West Conference Tournament with um, four teams playing for three spots, and there, there is a chance of an upset. Someone from outside the top four could get the bid. We've got Gonzaga coming to town in a West Coast Conference that I think deserves at least three teams. And I think most of, unless it's like a real upset bid, um, most of what will contribute to that third bid will be one of those teams making a run to the finals aside from St. Mary's because Gonzaga, I don't think is, is going to lose. So I, I like San Francisco a lot. Me too. So that'll be entertaining. Right. And Gonzaga is going to be playing for a number one seed. And then the PAC 12. Well, I'll just say it. I think Gonzaga and Arizona are the two best teams in the country. Yeah. They're- and they're both going to be here in Vegas next week. I mean, really starting this week. The, best, the, the West Coast starts earlier. The best time of the year, for sure. It's it's always fun to watch how this plays out. When you talk about making a run to the finals with, you know, the uh, the West Coast Conference Tournament, it's like one game. It <laughs> is so weird, that bracket. I, you know, I know you know about the bracket, but I was punching it up earlier. They really don't do a real Final Eight. No. No. The top four teams get to move right into the quarters, and actually the top two teams go right to the semis. They don't have to play in the quarters. Yeah. Yeah. Three and four don't play till the third day. And so there isn't, there's, no tradi- the there's no traditional four or five game. There's no three six game, nope. right? Which could be upsets. Yeah. So I think they may have overdone it a little bit. When the conference gets deeper, it kind of screws you out of some good games. Right. I mean, th- this bracket was designed when they were trying to protect Gonzaga, essentially. Right. Uh, and protect, you know, that second team. And oftentimes it was St. Mary's, which was there. And they were like, well, we don't want them to be exposed to losing early in the conference tournament. So they designed this strange bracket uh, that probably has passed its time. Yeah. But they still use it. 
So, you know, I want to get to a question I, I posed to Coach Joe in just a second, but we're talking about the Pac-12 tournament. We've got tickets. So let's do caller 7, 364-1100, 364-1100. We've got session two. That's a Wednesday's day of basketball at T-Mobile, 6 o'clock start. Four tickets to the uh, Pac-12 men's basketball tournament, 364-1100, 364-1100. You can get your own tickets at pac12.com slash tickets. Uh, the tournament goes March 9th through the 13th. And, of course, the women are here as well, as they'll be playing over at Mandalay Bay. So the question I posed to Coach Joe, Joe Esposito, our basketball insider, used to be an assistant with UNLV, was over the next five years, who has a chance to make the most Final Fours and potentially win more titles? Next five years. Gonzaga, UCLA, or Arizona? I actually said Arizona. And they're coming from the furthest back at the beginning of the year, but I have been blown away by, one, what Sean Miller left behind, two, what Tommy Lloyd has done with it, and I'll give you my rationale on why it's Arizona. Today, they beat UNLV and Illinois and lots of other big programs for Kylan Boswell. An elite point guard, a five-star, number 13 player in the 2023 class. I think he's going to reclassify. I don't think you commit this early. (laughs) If you're not going to reclassify, uh, I think Arizona, using Tommy Lloyd from Gonzaga, using the Gonzaga way of recruiting with all those resources, but not being like Sean Miller, if you know what I'm saying. Sure means playing the game with your resources and not getting caught. Working the international market, which I don't think is policed. I think Arizona is going to do it as well as Gonzaga, but it's Arizona. It's not Spokane, which I still still think there's a little tinge of, my God, where is this place? Yeah, I mean, I, still- I think Arizona, I think this guy is going to do an amazing job, and you saw it today. Uh, Colin Boswell had every reason to go to Illinois. I mean, he's got roots in Illinois. You know, we told you Kevin Kruger has a relationship with his dad. So UNLV could have, you know, stolen Boswell. But the fact that Arizona got him, they're going to recruit internationally. They're going to recruit nationally and they're going to kill it in California. And Arizona is also a recruiting rich area because there's also a bunch of prep schools in Arizona. Sure. I mean, I I, make the case for UCLA or Gonzaga over Arizona next year. I I think UCLA is clearly number three. Um, All those reasons you said are true. I just don't think Arizona is at the same spot as Gonzaga yet. I think they're still building to that. Yeah. And that's why I think over the next five, it'd be Gonzaga. Maybe you said over the next 20 or 20, 15? 10. Give me 10. 10? 7. Maybe it's Arizona, but I, I think Gonzaga's still in the short term. I'm asking a lot of Arizona quickly. Sure. Yeah. And, but I and also th- think it could include this year. Well, yeah, they did. That, that could be, you know, depending on how the uh, the seeds are handed out to what regions, I mean, that could be the final, Arizona and Gonzaga. Sure. I mean, yeah. I mean, it could end up that way if they play them as a way into one, two in the West would be tough. If you win Gonzaga one Arizona two in the West, that's that's asking well, a lot. There's no way. I mean, that can't. That's not going to happen. Well, if they lose, they lose out, and then lose lose the first round of the Pac-12 tournament. Could be two. Yeah. Um, that seems, be, seems like a long much. shot with the depth in the Pac-12 think, tournament. Although yeah. they did just lose to Col- Colorado. Yeah. I think, yeah, I think it's possible that they both get ones and could potentially play each other in the final. But I I just think Gonzaga, it, Gonzaga is obviously what Arizona is trying to get back to and and surpass. I just think it'll take a couple of years. Coming back, a throwaway comment by an NBA expert has a bunch of people around Las Vegas all lathered up. Join the conversation on Twitter at ESPN Las Vegas. 
Cofield and Company presents. Grab bag. Don't touch it. Don't even look at it. Only on ESPN Las Vegas. Stick your hand in there, Dave. I'm going to trust you on this one, Adam Hill. I feel like you filter things pretty well when it comes to this pro league is coming next to Las Vegas. <laughs> right? We've barely done the A's to Vegas because we're just a negotiating ploy pawn. Yeah. All right. You've always thought this is the right place for the NBA. Yeah. Maybe not over the NFL, but even over the NHL. NBA is just a matter of when, not if. And you thought T-Mobile was actually built for the NBA. Yeah. So now what? What do we got? NBA well, to Vegas. We also have the Sphere. <laughs> we have the all-net resort that could host an sure. NBA team. Yeah. Any day got... now, they're breaking ground at the uh, old uh, Wet n' Wild. we got arenas all over the place. Uh, Bill Simmons was doing a podcast today. He casually just started saying, you know, I think I think Vegas and Seattle are getting teams. I think they're getting expansion teams. Because the NBA wants the $6.5 billion. I guess Vegas would be $3 billion. Seattle would be next, and there will be $3.5 uh, so, fortunately, for whoever owns the Vegas team, they're first in line, so they get a $500 million discount. Uh, but he said that $6.5 billion divided by the rest of the teams would be, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars for each team, which would, uh, or excuse me, a couple hundred million dollars for each team, which would start to make up uh, some of the impact of lost revenue the last couple of years, and that's why they would do expansion now. And he just started kind of spitballing, well, it makes sense that the Fenway Sports Group would be a part of this and that LeBron would be the front man for it. And then it became, like, it's not just throwing things off the wall. It sounded like he was talking on some report and basically said, you know, I don't care if this is aggregated because I believe this is true. Like, well, okay. So now he's kind of making a report, even though it didn't seem like it was. Um, it has raised a lot of eyebrows for sure. I will. Well, I never put stock in the Oakland thing at all and the Raiders thing. I'll put stock into this and say this is kind of lining up with everything we've thought for a long time. It makes a whole lot of sense. So I don't know if the specifics are accurate, but I I would be surprised if there's not discussion of an expansion team coming to Las Vegas. Stick your hand in there, Dave. We'll leave it at that. Let's see if it develops. Uh, big news, big statement. Callaway Golf and Phil Mickelson. The relationship is paused. Okay. Wait, what? Good. I don't know what that means. Last week, his main sponsor, RPMG, uh, dropped them. RMPG? RPMG. Dropped them. Uh, Callaway's had a long deal with uh, Phil Mickelson. They're putting it on pause because of his comments about the uh, Saudi Arabian Golf League and, you know, oh, Khashoggi and anti-gay and they kill people, but means to an end. We got to beat the PGA. It's on, <laughs> it's on pause. Got to get money for me. It's on pause. So how, what, That'll okay. break them. I, I mean, this seems like it's nothing. I, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what that means. They're going to pick it up again in like three months, start paying them again and doing commercials again? I don't know. Stick your hand in there, Dave. What a time for a news dump. Derek Jeter, Marlins, he's done. He quits. Quits what? Is there a league? I, I don't know what he's quitting. I mean, he's he's walking away. He, I know Steve's not talking about the base, about baseball, but oh, big news today! Today is the deadline. Don't get a deal done today. Beginning of the season is postponed or canceled because they're not going to replay it. And the parties have agreed after meeting all day to continue talking into the night, which means maybe there's some optimism. Because if there was no optimism at all, they would just shut it down. So maybe there's some optimism that they get something done. But I know you don't care either way. But Jeter, he's out. 
So times get tough. Deer gets going. Stick your hand in there, Dave. Moving on. I was just trying to get you to finally react to that. No, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not speaking. I'm not doing it. I see other people like live tweeting it like who? As Ari says, and he got it right, Ari couldn't care less. So I'm with him. Although he keeps putting baseball stories into our suggested rundown, it's like, it's not going to happen. When they're back, they're back. I saw a story over the weekend. It's like, oh, this, this club may have offered this guy. There's no league. There's no offers. Now, see what, now I'm doing it. This is what I don't do. Get back in the back. I start screaming and yelling. Stick your hand in there, Dave. Screw off. I'm trying to make travel plans for April, and now this is jacking on my travel plans. You don't know which game to go to? Well, (laughs) I'm not going to games this year. If there's one game canceled in the regular season, I'm done. And we usually go to a couple of games. But the other thing is uh, I I was looking to go for an extended weekend sometime in April after the Final Four, but then we have fantasy baseball drafts. I will do that because I'm not giving that up. I like that. I will at least gamble on the sport. (laughs) But now, now we're all in limbo on what the hell we can do in April because we don't know when the season will open or when it will open or if it will open. I don't know. It doesn't matter to you. You don't care about baseball. That's it's a good done. point. I should drop the fantasy leagues too. But you realize there are, there are extenuating circumstances. Sure. If I dump out of fantasy leagues, and I could be hated for life and excommunicated and stuff sure. like that. So. As you should. I really, you're right. I, don't, I was yelling at you for saying you were going to still go to games, but I don't have the stomach to get rid of you know, 33-year-long fantasy baseball leagues. I admire Koken. Koken out of league, they they like they dumped it. They got so pissed off last year. Last year, no, he's two probably, years ago. He's probably back. Last year, right? No, two years ago with the COVID shortened season. He's probably was, back. I think he's back. Yeah. Um, you know, when I mentioned it to him on the podcast, we do the DC and the Sunshine Man podcast on Thursday nights. He was like, "Yeah, we're trying to pull it together." So, by the way, is this was this only three hours today? Yeah, why? Usually the show flies by, but I today. It felt like a nine-hour show. Not because of anything weird. It's it's in a couple hours, man. It's time. You are you. <laughs> your mind. Your your mind was never on the show. I. It's time. I will tell you. The audience couldn't see it, but Koken was was saying some stuff. I knew you didn't agree with. And I start. I gave like I did like a couple of punches. I'm like, let's go fight him. And you were you just looked off into space. You're like Indianapolis. I'm sticking about Indy. It's almost time. Uh, listener Sean. I had the question earlier. Cancun over Indianapolis? No. Of course not. Silly. Yeah. Don't be silly. Adam, the only person who went to Cancun during the COVID crisis seven times? Three. Three. And you were like, it's one of the safest places you can go. By the way, still now. Well, good luck. I hope you make it through Indy. It's a crime-riddled, small, hellish town.